this afternoon. We're turning to 1 Corinthians, please, in chapter 1. We'll read the first nine verses, and we're going to be taking from our model text for this year, verses 5, 6, and 7. But we'll read the whole, and from verse 1 to 9, and of course our model then, verses 5, 3 to 7. 1 Corinthians, please, in chapter 1, the verse 1. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God and Sathanas, our brother, unto the church of God, which is at Corinth, and to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ, that in everything ye are enriched by him, in all utterance and in all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that ye come behind in no gift, wearing for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who shall also confirm, on, confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 5 That in everything ye are enriched by him, in all utterance and in all knowledge. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, so that ye come behind in no gift, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. We enter into a new year. These are the verses that I want to highlight to you. I want you to highlight them in your mind's eye and take them as we seek to live for the Lord throughout the year 2023. These verses were written uh, to the church in Corinth, uh, and the city of Corinth that was the capital of Asia was perhaps the richest and most important city in Greece in New Testament times. It was a city of commerce, it had two harbours which would have been key for the trade of the Roman Empire. It was a cosmopolitan city with over 700,000 people living in the city in those days. Uh, there would have been uh, famous athletic games there <coughs> that happened in Corinth, and this would have caused a great influx of people. It was a city of commerce. It was also a city of culture. Uh, the Corinthian population were very proud of their culture. It was a city with many great thinkers and many great philosophers and many wonderful auditors, and they would gather on public platforms and they would share their ideas and they would share about the issues. It was a city of commerce, it was a city of culture, and it was a city of corruption. John MacArthur writes, the city of Corinth became so morally corrupt that its very name became synonymous with debauchery and moral depravity. And to Corinthianize came to represent gross immorality and drunken debauchery. Commerce, culture, corruption. Sounds a bit like the society you and I living today. And there were two battles that Paul had to fight in that particular society. 
These battles are battles that we will face in 2023 as an assembly here at Grange Baptist Church. And battles that every fellowship of God come across in our world. Here's the two battles. To keep the church in the world. That's evangelism. And to keep the church out of the world. That's holiness. They were the two battles that Paul fought. To keep the church in the world. Evangelism. And to keep the church out of the world. Holiness. And when Paul visited on his first missionary journey, we're told in Acts 18 and verse 8, that many of the Corinthians hearing the gospel believed and were baptized. And Paul stayed for 18 months, but unfortunately after Paul left, the city was infecting the church more than the church was influencing the city. And after, uh, and so after one unsuccessful letter and correspondence from the house of Chloe, Paul writes this letter uh, to the church. And in this first chapter, Paul reminds the Corinthian church that they're called of God, and that they're called to be holy. And they're called to be holy. You know, as I considered how Paul wrote this letter, and with the knowledge of the past trouble that the Corinthians had caused, I believe Paul displays a great example of the grace of God. Know that our lives would be marked with the grace of God in the incoming year. You know, they, they were a church and they, they were doing so many gross sins. And yet Paul reacts to this sinful church and he writes in grace. And you know, we, we, this local church, they, they were involved in immoral sin, they were involved in lies, they, they were involved in things that you just wouldn't want to find. If, if you and I were living close by to this church today, we probably would avoid it. And yet Paul, he writes with grace. I'm sure if I was writing there, I would have asked them, are you crazy? Are there any deceived at all? Do you call yourselves Christians? You can't be Christians unless you behave like Christians. Catch yourselves on. I think that's how I would have wrote to this church. I would have been furious with them. But Paul, he wrote in grace. He taught them. Paul says, you're saved to be holy. And you're called to be saved. Look at what you have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's only when he tells them what they have in the wonderful riches of God that that then moves and exhorts the Corinthians to live for Christ. You see, look at what Paul says. He, he says you're called to be holy and you're called to be saints. He says this in verse 2. He says this, Now I beseech you, brethren, and he, as he calls to them, he says, Unto the church of God which is in Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. That's what he says to them. You're called to be saints. And he, he starts and he starts, what well, his idea in these verses is, that he's coming and he's saying, look at all the riches you have in Christ. Surely you love him enough to live for him. You're called to be saints. And that word saints means that you're called to live in holiness. You're called to be holy. And Paul, he opens up his letter and he speaks of himself and he identifies himself as an apostle. We've spoken about this before as we've gone through the letter to the Philippians. Paul was an apostle. He was set apart. This was important. Paul didn't do anything for his self-glory. He wasn't trying to put his name and then a list of letters and degrees after his name. He had identified himself as an apostle. He reminded the church that yes, it was his right to speak authoritatively to them on these subjects, 
but he was just a man who Christ had seen. And Paul says, Paul, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. Paul was in the will of God. I know that going forward in 2023, we will be people who would seek out, that we would be found on our knees, crying out to the Lord, that we would be found in his will, found doing what he would call us to do, found living for him, found praising him for the riches that he bestows upon us, and found living lives that are holy unto the Lord. You know, Paul, as he writes to them, he reminded them that we're set apart by God. Verse 2, he says, unto the church of God. And the word church here in the Greek language, it literally means the call by people. That's what you are, dear brother, dear sister, today. You're a call by people. In the hymn we just sang, say, called, called unto holiness. Church of our God. We're called to be set apart. We're called by people. We've been saved. And dear brothers and sisters, we've been set apart for Christ. And you'll note that each, each gathering of the local church addresses two things. It's geographical and spiritual. We meet here in Green's Baptist. That's geographically where we meet. We're the local church. We're the local Baptist church here in Green's. That's our geography. But there's a spiritual element as well. And the spiritual element is that we're called out people and we're sanctified in Christ Jesus. And each day we should be striving to walk closer to him. So often we can sing that little chorus, just a closer walk with thee. Granted, Jesus, this might be dearly walking close with thee. Let it be, dear Lord, let it be very easy to sing those words. It's something else to put them in the action. Oh, that we will be people putting them in the action. We're set apart. We've been called to live lives that are holy. Now listen, according to the Bible, every true believer in Jesus Christ, whether faithful or unfaithful, well-known or unknown, leader or follower, is a set-apart person, a holy person, a saint. You are a saint today, a saint of God. And in a biblical sense, the most obscure believer today is just as much a saint as the Apostle Paul. This is the believer's position in Christ. And here Paul says, dear church in Corinth, you're living in a way that is far away, as is far away from a saint that I can think of. But that moment, dear church in Corinth, when you truly trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, at that moment you were set apart when you became a saint. Not because of what you have done, but because of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done. And you're now in Christ. You're called to be saints. You're called to be holy. We see this picture in a marriage, set apart marriage, when a man and woman pledge their love to each other, that they are set apart for each other. And any other relationship outside of the marriage is sinful. And just so the Christian, the saint, becomes, becomes complete with the Lord Jesus Christ. He has set them apart, and we are set apart for Christ alone. And he is to be the only thing in this whole wide world who we live for. <coughs> Verse 2, Paul says, With all that in every place call upon the name of the Lord of Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's the name that we call upon. That's the name that we take into another new year. That's the name that we declare as we declare the gospel, as we live our life for him. We say, Jesus Christ 
is Lord and Jesus Christ is my Lord. That's the name we will declare going into another new year. It's the only name that can save a soul from hell. It's the only name that has power to help us through the most difficult days that lie ahead of us in 23. It's the only name that has been able to get us through difficult days in the past. Jesus Christ is Lord. And Paul says to these people, he says, you're set apart for him. You need to live for him. Maybe you listen this afternoon and you know things haven't been as they should have been. You've allowed sin to slip into your life in this past year. And you've lived in a way that you know or you've done things that you could describe as unholy. That you know that's not wholesome for the child of God. Here's the beauty of being a child of God. The purpose of being in Christ is to be like Christ. And that's what these verses are all about. That's even what our modern text is all about. It's living those holy lives. You're sitting today and maybe you say to me, well, look, Peter, it's hard to live like Christ. It's hard for me. You don't realize what I'm up against. You don't know what I'm going through at home. You don't know the daily wrestle I have with sin. I can't get over this temptation. And for somebody like you, it's extremely hard to imagine yourself being absolutely pure, spotless, holy, and without blemish, isn't it? Well, perhaps one of the greatest obstacles that people have getting saved and even Christians have grappling with their own life is resting in the peace and the security and the satisfaction of knowing that you're accepted. You're accepted with God and the well beloved. Prime ministers don't always act the way they are. Diplomats don't always act diplomatically. Kings don't always act kindly. But they're still prime ministers. And they're still diplomats. And they're still kings. You and I, dear child of God, don't always act the way we ought to. And we're so prone to wonder. But we're still the children of God. Therefore, we ought to live for Him and please Him as best we can, even when we step up. To turn to heaven and ask him for help. He has given us his spur. He is our helper. And oh how we love to live for him. There's a story told about a young boy whose father was a pastor. He was put into jail for stealing some clothes from a department store. And the pastor was out in the golf course with a number of the church leaders playing a round of golf on a day off. And the call came through to collect his son from the jail. And the pastor, thinking that the phone call must have been a mistake, brought the other church leaders with him, and he was left very embarrassed. The deepest impression of the incident left in the little boy's mind was when the man who arrived with his father repeatedly said to the boy, Having a father like yours, how could you have done what you did? The boy hadn't acted like his father would have acted. He had let his father down, but no matter what that was, he was still his father's son. And as Christians, one of the strongest rebukes that we can receive when we sin is to be reminded of who our Heavenly Father is. And that's what Paul's doing here. And what he has done. Remembering our, remembering our position as a world-bought, redeemed people. We should long to live up to the title of saints and live for the Lord. Called to be holy. But not only is, are we set apart by God, but also we're enriched by God's grace. Verse 4 says this, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God 
which is given you by Jesus Christ. Paul says one benefit of being a saint is that we are enriched, enriched by God's grace. Verse 5 says that in everything that ye are enriched by him. That's the start of our model text. In everything ye are enriched by him. Just think of what he says to the Corinthians. Just think of what you have. I thank God that you received the grace of God when you came to trust him as Saviour. And in a moment in the past, the Saviour became yours. And Paul refers here to their salvation, the time when they received God's saving grace. And this is the first and most obvious benefit of being a saint. It's what happened to you when you became one. You, you, you became a child of God. You moved from darkness into light. You, you moved from being hellbound to heavenbound. You received and you received salvation from the Lord. And that is one of the greatest moments that we can look back to. It's an enriching moment that will stay with us throughout our life. How good it is today that as I enter 2023 to know that the Lord Jesus Christ has my hand. How good it is to know that God knows what tomorrow holds and God knows what six months ahead holds. God knows what the whole year holds. I place my hand in His. For he is the one who knows the future. Therefore I need not fear. Because God is with me and to comfort me. And he's with you too. And we are enriched. That in everything ye are enriched by him. All the riches that we have in Christ this afternoon. All the riches that we have. Paul says I thank God for this. And he says in verse 4, By Christ Jesus, all blessing and grace comes when you and I are united in Christ. That's why the best way to live is to live every day for Jesus Christ, the one who gave us life for us. That's the way that you will experience great blessing in 2023. If you are flirting with sin today, do away with it. Because it will ruin and mar your fellowship with the Lord. The best way to live for to live is to live for him and to know that then you will know his blessing and you will appreciate the riches that you have in Christ. Don't let the devil get a foothold in your life this year. Here we've turned a new leaf. Many of you maybe have made New Year's resolutions. And you know what? They'll be done by the end of January. But let me say this. Make it your New Year's resolution. To walk closer with the Lord this year. So that when you sit in the Lord's will, this day in 2024, that you say, I walk I'm closer with the Lord than I was this day last year. There's a good friend of many of you here. He's called Philip Cameron, Pastor Philip Cameron. And when I was speaking with him a number of years ago, he was speaking at a youth weekend that I was at, and he said this. He said, I was chatting to him about, well, what do you get up to? It was close to Christmas time and New Year. And he said to me, well, Peter, I always, at some stage over that week, I go out for a walk. And I think to myself as I look back, am I closer to the Lord now than I was this time last year? That's stayed with me. I think it's a question each of us should ask ourselves. If I think back to this time last year, if I strive to be closer with the Lord, or by falling away, the devil will sin. Oh, go to, go to war with sin today. We call on the holiness. The Lord has extended his grace. 
I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given to you by Jesus Christ. You know, grace cannot coexist with three things. Guilt is the first of those. It can't coexist with guilt. God is not up in heaven saying, one false move and I'm finished with you. If you're Christ, if you belong to Christ, it's not the works. He's not up in heaven saying, I'll save you only if you try not to sin again. If your life weighs up to it. Here's what the Word of God says, and what God says from His heart. If you're justified by faith, Romans 5, you have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into His grace, wherein we stand, and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing the tribulation work of patience. Grace does not coexist with guilt. Once you're saved, that grace will stay with you the rest of your life. Grace doesn't coexist with obligation. Right? God has saved me, and now I have to try and repay him. That's not grace. You can't repay the grace of God. It's not a loan, it's a gift. And it's free for the taking. And of course we serve God with all our hearts, and we owe a great deal of love towards him and service, but it's not through trying to repay him. It's because we belong to him. And it's because we have a new nature. We're children of God. And we're trying to obey and please our heavenly father. Grace cannot coexist with guilt. It can't coexist with obligation. Grace cannot coexist with human merit. You know there's a lot of people. Poor people. The people in the, cult, in the cults. And many different religions. And they're trying to work their way to God. And human merit. And they believe that it's through human merit that they'll get to heaven. Grace cannot coexist with human merit. Some people believe that you can only get grace when you're good enough. I can't be because none of us are good enough. Maybe you sit in the Lord's house this Lord's day and be listening online. You think I'm not good enough to get saved. God would never accept me. Well, let me tell you something. The Lord will save the worst and the vilest of sinners. He saved the man beside him on the cross who was dying for his crimes. That day that man went to be with him in paradise. And today God's grace, my unsaved friend, reaches out to you. And if you're not saved, the best way to start 2023 would be to bow the knee and trust in Christ as your Savior. But you know, for the children of God, for us, no wonder in verse 5, Paul declares that we are enriched by him. This grace that we have as saints, it enriches us, it makes us the wealthiest people in the world. Not financial gain, eternal gain. Enriched by him. And in our speech, all utterance, says verse 5, and in our knowledge and knowledge of this grace, it should lead to a pouring out of joy. We have this undeserved grace, and we have it in Christ, and it should lead us to speak much of him. It should lead us to delve into scripture deeper this year. That indeed it would lead to that pouring out of joy. And the truth is that what we receive in this grace in verse 6. That, um, the truth is when we receive this grace. Verse 6 tells us the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. Look at the beginning of verse 7. And this is important. We're about to make a very important distinction. In verse 7 it says. So that ye come behind and no gift. What's Paul saying then? What's that mean? 
He's saying because of this wonderful gift that you don't deserve, you lack nothing. You don't even lack in gift. The Greek word that's used here is charismata. And that means that the Lord has given us spiritual gifts. We lack in those spiritual gifts, meaning that the Lord equips us and gives us everything we need to serve Him. He gives us in different ways, that's important. A local church would never function if He didn't gift us in different ways. There are some people, and maybe you're not up at the front all the time, but I know you're faithful in prayer. There's some people, and I know you're great encouragers in the background. <coughs> and sometimes you might feel unnoticed. And you might feel like the people around you don't appreciate what you do, but let me remind you that God sees what you do. And He appreciates what you do. And one day you will be rewarded in eternity for what you do. But how God has gifted us. And He has given us those gifts that we might serve Him here in our local church fellowship. He has given us that we might serve him fervently. I know that this year we would continue to use our gift that he has given us and serve him the best we can. That we would see many come to know Christ as Savior this year. That we would sharpen one another. That not only just like the illustration of Philip who looked back a year before and he said, Well, I'm not living in a that we as an assembly. We'll be able to look back in the Lord's will at the end of 23 and say, look at what the Lord has done. And we are glad. Set apart by God, enriched by His grace, expecting the Lord to return. This is another outspelling of this enriching grace that we've received. We've placed our trust in the Savior and verse 7 says that we're waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you're eschatological. That means looking to the future. I hope you are. <coughs> I hope you look to the future as a child of God because it's something that pulls us on. I mean, we feel surely as the children of God. I'm sure you have that tug. Do you not long for Christ to return? Do you not long to be with Him? We sing about it, but sometimes we don't even realize we're singing about it. We're saying how great they are. When Christ shall come with shout of acclamation, what joy shall fill my heart. Then shall I buy in humble adoration and sing, my God, how great thou art. It should give you spiritual goosebumps if I'm allowed to say that. We should be looking for Christ's return. The Lord is coming. That's the second coming. And every eye will see him. And he's going to come in the clouds. And we should look forward to that coming. Our citizenship as the children of God, it isn't here. We're just part of this world. We're in this world, but we're not part of this world. Philippians 3, we're going to be dealing with this in a few weeks' time. It tells our citizenship is in heaven. And we should feel that tug. And we have people who have died and gone there. And we sense that we want to be with them. And the pull is from there as well. But one day we'll be with Christ. And we're waiting for the revealing, the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, we wait with that future talk. And you know that? That is you draw you on his day. As you open your curtains each morning, you can say, it could be today, Lord. It could be today. And I believe he's coming. 
And no one, no man knows when he will come. But surely we feel that tug towards him. One day Christ will come. And as we look forward this year, we will depend on God's faithfulness. Verse 8 and 9 say, You shall also confirm you unto the end, that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I love this. God is faithful. By whom ye were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God is faithful. What a line to take into 2023. You can look back, and each of us, I'm sure, if we sat here and chatted to each individual, you can look back and you say, God has been faithful. But listen to the present continuous tense here. God is faithful. And he will continue to be until that day when Christ comes to the clouds where he calls us to be with him. Paul finishes and he just simply says to them, and he says to us today, we have a God who is faithful. All of this year, as you look at that monotext, <coughs> that we would remember in everything as we are enriched by him, what blessings he bestows upon us. <coughs> And will continue to bestow upon us. That in all utterance, in the things that we say, and in all knowledge, that we would delve deeper into his word, that we would be drawn closer to him. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, oh, that the way we live, that people would look at us and say, Christ lives in them, the hope of glory. So that ye come behind in no gift. He has given us every gift that we need for the year ahead. He has given us gifts and talents that we can use in this local fellowship to glorify his name and bring praise to his name. Waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, as I look to him, and as I consider that one day, I will be with him. Either he'll call me home or he'll come to the clouds. I'll tell you there's no better motivation to live holy lives. I trust that this year as we take up this verse, highlight it in the Bible if that's your habit. Read it often, write it down. Use it, come back to it, study it for yourself. Let the Lord minister to you through it. Know that this year we will be a set apart church. Living set apart lives. We have so many exciting things planned for the year ahead, and I am excited for it. We have many gospel efforts, we have a mission to look forward to. Know that we would be drawn closer to Christ ourselves. For it's not until we come as the children of God. Confessing sin, seeking to live holy lives, it's not until then that the Lord will then come and bless us.